Today's sermon comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, it's a joy to be with you in worship on this wonderfully stormy day. I was going over my sermon in here a couple hours ago and I made a strong point and thunder shook so much that it, you could feel the building sh shake and I wasn't sure if that meant that I was saying the right things or if God was trying to tell me to say something else. Without knowing, let's turn our heart to God and ask him to bless what will be said. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. And we do confess that there are ways in which we do not treat that gift well. We have been unwise and wayward. We've been sinful. But God, it is the shape of our faith and the content of our hope that you've sent your son Christ when we have turned away from you so that we may be reconciled to you. And that Christ is at work in us, cultivating in us a desire for your kingdom. We are so grateful for this gift. And in like manner, it's the shape of our faith that you have sent your Holy Spirit as a guide and counselor to us to be someone to walk beside, calling us together into a community of care. 
Send your spirit freshly now in this hour, for you and I know that without you I can do nothing. Let your spirit fall on all who hear these words, that they may bring new life and new hope, that they would spring forth from their hearts and into their mouths and into their actions. Bless us. We ask these things in the name of your son Jesus, we pray. And God's people say everywhere, amen. The very first Sunday we started streaming these services, which now feels like a year ago, we were practicing an abundance of precaution. And I was in this sanctuary in the middle of the aisle here talking to the other staff members about what was going to happen in worship this day. And all of a sudden I heard a banging on the front door. So I looked out down the center aisle into the narthex and at the doors which have these little tiny windows in them and I could see a face scowling at me and banging the door more. I was a little afraid. I I, I was timid. I didn't want to let anybody in. That was against the executive orders that we had been adhering to and I didn't know what to do. So I walked over there very sheepishly and unlocked that door with intimidation and all of a sudden I see the man has a package and he says, do you want your package or not? I said, oh, my apologies. It was explained to me that we had ceased our our orders and deliveries to the church. Yeah, yeah, do you want your package or not? So I said, sure. And with great intimidation, again, I took the package and I went and put it somewhere and immediately sanitized my hands, but I was definitely afraid. We all know what it means to shelter in place by now. And one way or another, we're all in some way afraid of what's just out there, outside. There really are only two kinds of monsters that we tell stories about, aren't there? There is the monster that is out there. Alien invaders, vampires, zombies. And then there's the monster that's inside of us. In literature, we've seen this monster uh, by the character Jekyll and Hyde in film with Wolfman or other kinds of characters. The disciples, like us, are locked up in a room and they are afraid of something in the outside world. They are afraid of the crowds that have turned on Jesus. And as they're afraid, in that room, sheltering in place, there's an apparition. No, no, not, not an apparition. No, that's more than that. So, somehow in that moment, Jesus comes to being with them. The once dead and buried Jesus stands there with them, embodied. And somehow, in spite of the locked doors, he has entered into their midst. He presents them with his wounds. What do you suppose that is? Is that for proof? I don't know, but one thing I do know is that our scars tell stories, don't they? I was once at a beach, and there was a mommy and a little girl playing in the sand. Because we were in, at the beach, we were all in beach attire, including these two. The little girl saw a scar on her mommy's tummy, and she began very gingerly to just run her finger over the scar, and she said, Mommy, what's that? And the mommy said to the little girl, Well, that's from when I had you. And she said to her daughter, so as not to scare her, 
you know, every time I look at that, it reminds me of how much I love you. These scars, too, speak of a love. And they speak of something else being born anew, a new creation. Peace be with you. That's how Jesus speaks to his disciples. Those are his words of address. Peace be with you. And then following those are words of sending. He says, just as I have been sent by my father, now I'm sending you. And then he breathes the spirit upon them. And he tells them that they now have a new authority in this world. They are now told to go into the world with the authority to both forgive and call out sinfulness. Now, you may remember in the story, as it was just read, that one of the twelve was not there, Thomas. So when he hears about it, he hears the story about how his once dead teacher now somehow magically showed up in this locked up room presenting his wounds, he thinks, yeah, right, that's not the typical order of life. And so he's rather sarcastic and, or bombastic about his response. He, he says, I'm not going to believe that story unless I can stick my fingers and my hands inside the wounds. Have you ever been bombastic and sarcastic like that? You just didn't believe so much that you just blurted something out? I remember one time I was teaching the children of our church about baptism and what our baptistry is like and how they don't need to be afraid of it and so on. And then we came out here and the kids sat in the front pews and I was trying to impress them. And I went back behind my knee here and I got this cushion off the chair that I sit on. It's needlepoint. And there is the image of a unicorn. I asked the kids, why do you think there's a unicorn on here? Why not a cross or another more common Christian symbol? Why a unicorn? And then I got bombastic and I said, I'll give anyone a hundred bucks who can tell me why there's a unicorn on this cushion. And a young woman of our church who's now a teen raises her hand very sheepishly and says, well, I'm told that our church's heritage goes back to Scotland. Scotland has a couple national animals. One of them's a unicorn and it's also a Christian symbol. So I suppose that's why. Hundred dollars because I didn't believe. My goodness. Now, to be fair, Thomas, because of this moment, has been labeled a doubter. I mean, like who wouldn't doubt these claims? I think he should be called Thomas who speaks for everyone because he is speaking about something that one doesn't expect. Thomas, though, gets his chance, his comeuppance, like I did with a remark about the $100 bill. Jesus shows up before Thomas and says, Thomas, look, I want you to put your fingers in these wounds. And it is at that moment where his doubt and his relief smash together and produce this joyous ecstasy of exclamation and praise of who Jesus is. Reminds me a lot of of George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. 
after his dark night of the soul, he comes home and he sees his children up on top of the staircase and he runs to them and he begins kissing them and hugging them. And then he sees his beautiful wife Mary come in the front door and he sees her and he runs down the steps in this joyous ecstasy. Mary, are you real? Are you real? You get the sense of Thomas that he's glad his doubts have been overcome. Jesus tells him, it's good that you believe, Thomas, but it's going to be even more sweet for those who don't see me and believe. Now, that interests me greatly, but what interests me more today is how this story thinks about the body of Christ. The body of Christ in this story is physical, phenomenological, touchable. And what does Christ's body represent here in the world? Nothing less than the physical organ of God's grace in the world. There is something about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that grants salvation, that makes people whole, that heals the wounds of all creation. But later in Scripture and later in Christian thought, the body of Christ is a term for the church. Christians are called out of the darkness and into God's glorious light to be the body of Christ, the church. And what's more, to be that physical organ of God's grace in this world, replete with the authority to forgive sins and to call sinfulness out. This body of Christ, the church, is animated by the Holy Spirit as well. And as such, the church represents Christ within the world. In this way, it may be said that the church is indeed an embodied community. There is a difference, my friends, between individual piety and the corporate nature of our faith. If I eat a meal for lunch on a lunch break and I offer a word of prayer, that's my individual piety. If I'm in my car singing a great hymn of the church or a great praise song, that's my individual piety. But when I gather with you and we gather with others in one place, whether it's a sanctuary like this or underneath a tabernacle in the woods, we become that embodied community that does stuff that you can't do alone. The fancy church word for this is called liturgy, which means the work of the people. It's that which requires others to do. Our liturgy is shared prayers. It's shared singing. It's shared peace passing. It's shared forgiveness granting. It's a shared meal at the holy table. It's taking a share of the teaching of the apostles and sitting under its authority. And we do that together embodying the grace of God as God's manifestation of grace here in and for the world. We're embodied. And yet, as much as the body of Christ is called to be this embodied corporate whole, we realize that there are other ways to think about the church in our great tradition. One that I'm leaning into right now is that we are also a mystical body, a mystical communion. What does that mean? My friends, it means that we as Christians have solidarity and a shared fate and a shared hope with other Christians who meet in other sanctuaries. In this city and in this state and in this country and around the world. 
It means that we share that same solidarity and faith with people who don't speak our language or maybe have a different aspect of the tradition of Christianity. It means that we are deeply connected to the church that's gone before us, to the saints of old. We have a shared similar identity with them. It means that mystically and supernaturally, we have a shared identity with people who haven't even been born, but those who will come in the name of Jesus in the time to come. See, right now, the tools at our disposal are helping us remember that we're also a mystical community. Whether it's Zoom or Facebook or live streaming, these tools remind us that, yeah, we're supposed to be together, but we're also in our isolation still spiritually and mystically connected to one another. Being together is better. It is. And I look forward to the day when we can be together. I, I don't think that we should accept streaming as the best thing in the world. It's just a tool. Being together is better. But while we're all held up in our homes, locked away from what's outside like those disciples were on that one night, take courage. Take courage. Because my friends they still dwelt with the body of Christ, and so do we. It's a reminder that we are this mystical body. In our rooms, we still dwell with the body of Christ as they did, and in our rooms, we are awaiting the day when we can open wide our doors and enter with a fresh courage to do the work of God in this world in embodied ways once again. But for now, know that where you are, Christ is with you, and your brothers and sisters in this faith are with you too.